Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, everybody. A um, little weather change. We had uh, some really warm, hot weather, and uh, it was affecting things. You know, we were kind of almost getting into a little bit of a fallish looking pattern. Temperatures were trending towards seasonal. Then we had a real hot spell again. Water temperatures came up. Water levels are changing. We're getting, we got hunting going on. We got fall fishing coming up. We got what everybody calls the dog days of summer going on. And we're going to talk a little bit about all those and how they shouldn't affect your success in the outdoors if you do the right planning and pick the right activities. But this uh, rain is going to help things. We always can use some moisture here, although we do have flooding issues in some areas. So there's lots to talk about. So let's just get started. Let's go right to the phone. Joining us, one of our regular contributors, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. It's uh, It's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride for weather this year, hasn't it? Boy, it sure has. You know, 100 degrees last week, and we're sitting out on the lake, and it was probably warmer at 7 o'clock this morning than it is right now. Although I think... We might we might be almost done with at least the heavy rain. We might get some more showers, but it came down pretty good at my place yesterday, and it's it's affecting water levels to some degree. But a lot of lakes are full, and some are even dropping because of water calls. Yeah, we still have you know the the we had a late spring that was a little bit cooler, so the farmers didn't get the crops in quite as early, and they're still irrigating a little bit further on this year so uh there's still a demand out there i'd expect that to be dropping off here in the next week or so but um that's definitely making some of our lakes most of the lakes on the the northern front range and uh northeast portion of the state you know still are are having some water called out of them so they're dropping at a a slow steady pace but uh we are sitting in much better water situation than we have for quite a few years this time of year Oh, yeah, and it's typical this time of the year you're fishing falling water. In fact, we're going to talk more about just fishing falling water later in the show, but it's not happening at every reservoir as much as we would see. You're right. Um, we, if we can go into the fall with as much water in these reservoirs as it looks like we might, that'll be a boon for next year to get us started, that's for sure. What do you see in bite-wise and fishing-wise on the different lakes out there? Well, well, we're out on uh, Boyd right now, and we're, we're catching some uh, some walleyes, a couple trout, uh, a bluegill mixed in. So it's still been a pretty good bite out here. And uh, it's we're just pulling bottom bouncers, um, you know, right along the, the break line. Seems like that, uh, oh, 15 to 25-foot depth has been best. So, um, you know, that's been what's going on at Boyd. The white bass didn't blow do much boiling this morning i think they were pushed down with the colder weather and the rain that we had but uh, we had been getting quite a few uh white bass particularly in the mornings they've been doing good and uh and then out at union we're still catching quite a few uh well you know you know yeah seasonal brad seasonal uh weather next week a little warmer high 70s mid 80s I would expect that white bass to still continue for a while, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, they're they're going to go for the at least through uh, mid to late September when the the lake starts thinking about turning over. Uh, you should get that white bass bite uh, in the the mornings and usually in the evenings. But the evening bite has has tapered off a little bit more in the last week or so. And do you expect, I know you started Union, we'll get back to it in a minute, but I know you also like to throw jigging wraps at Boyd in the fall a lot. Are we getting anywhere, any indication when we might see that start to take place? Oh, boy. I I would think we're probably still several weeks away before that really takes off. Um, The water temperature was 72 about 10 days ago in the morning. It jumped back up to 76, and now it's back down to 74. So I, we really need to see that water temperature get down into the 60s for it to start getting pretty good. So I think we're just, a, oh, you know, three weeks away of seasonal weather, and it, and it should kind of kick off. How about, now you started talking about Union. You said the white bass, the wipers are doing a little bit there, and maybe the crappies. Yep. If you get out real early in the morning, um, until about 7, 7.30, there's crappie getting caught up in the shallows, just using little, like, tube jigs and uh, reeling them real slow. They're they're suspended in the water column, so don't fish them all the way at the bottom. Just a slow lift and drop kind of retrieve. Um, as you're working them about four or five feet deep in the water column. And then uh, the, the wipers are going, if you're using planer boards, keeping it real shallow, eight feet or less, and covering water at a good speed, about uh, two and a half to three and a half miles an hour. Any size to the wipers? Or? A lot of those wipers there are about 14 to 17 inches right now. So not huge, but boy, a lot of fun to catch. Oh, they really put up a fight. They really do. Um, what about horse tooth? I, I heard I heard the water is dropping there. Yeah, horse tooth has dropped about four feet this past week. And what that's done is really pulled any of the remaining smallmouth out of the coves and towards the main lake structure. So if I'm going to go up there chasing smallmouth, I'm going to be fishing the points on the coves the points and the humps on the main lake portion. And then the walleyes have gone out and they're working those smelt schools. And that's really a low light bite. So you need to think about uh, going out there at about six and planning to fish till at least 10 or midnight. If you're wanting to chase the walleyes, you know, horse tooth, I wonder if the water is dropping faster there because it's, uh, um, we had some flooding on some of the rivers, some, through the burn scars, and they may have shut down some of the water intake. Yeah, I don't know why it is, um, but it definitely has been fluctuating a lot more than Carter. And, you know, they're both on that same uh, Big Thompson uh, water system. So I don't know why Horsetooth has been doing a lot more fluctuating this year. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It depends on the water calls, I guess. <clears throat> Horsetooth has been off and on all year this year. Usually it's a lake I can fish pretty dependably. It's right in my backyard, and I've had mixed results out there this year. Yeah, I know they had a uh, Centennial Bass Club had a tournament out there uh, last Tuesday, I believe, and it was tough. You know, people were catching some smaller fish, 
But to find those fish 14 inches and better was a challenge. And if you're looking for those bigger fish, uh, that 20 to 30 foot depth range is probably where you really need to be looking. Yeah, and I think it'll probably fish fairly well in the fall. There's still plenty of smallmouth in there. It's just been a different... Horsetooth has always fished differently than some of the other lakes on the front range. Uh, speaking of lakes, too, and difficulty, I think we should address the elephant in the room a little bit. The northeast, which um, a lot of times they're shut down for water levels by this time of the year, has, has more water than usual, but the bites have been significantly more difficult. Yeah, the northeast lakes really uh, had trouble last year with the low water level and lost a lot of their fish either through die-off or going out the ditches. And so I, I've got buddies that live up in Sterling, and they aren't even fishing a lake that's, you know, 20 minutes away from them. And normally this time of year, that's a real reliable lake. If you want to go out on the northeast, the one lake that's still producing some fish is Pruitt. It's producing numbers but they're of walleye, but they're smaller, 14 inches and, and shorter. But uh, that's a lake to try. Pruitt does not have a lot of structure. So look for any spot that the wind has been pushing into and created mud lines or fish kind of along the dam there. Um, do know that Pruitt and some of those lakes do have regulations coming up when regular duck season kicks in that will limit the access to boaters. So if you want to head out that way, you've only got, you know, about uh, five, six weeks left. Yeah, that's a great transition point, too, now, because I wanted to talk to you about some of that. Regular <clears throat> duck season and goose, and we're four or five wake weeks away, but we're not very far away from teal, are we? No, teal opens up here September 9th, and uh, I've talked to several people that have been out there on the uh, eastern plains kind of looking around, and we've had so much water this year that a lot of the ponds that haven't been full for 10 years have water, and there's teal, there's there's teal that have come down, but there's so much water that you have to do a little bit of scouting to figure out which one of the ponds is really holding the birds. So I think it's going to be a good teal opener. This weather should help push another little wave down. But uh, I would recommend people, you know, dove season opens September 1st, and I would recommend maybe if you're going to go out that way dove hunting, spend a little bit of time scouting for teal locations and find which pond they really are wanting to utilize. Yeah, I, I'm, I've not done a lot of teal hunting, I'll admit that. So when you approach teal season, other than scouting because of the extra water, uh, is there anything you do different as far as blinds or calling, or do you approach it different than other duck seasons? You know, with teal, the big thing is getting to where they want to be and make sure you're there early. With as warm as the weather is, those birds are going to fly right at shooting time, and they're typically done by an hour after sunrise. So figure out where they're going to be. Set out some decoys. Uh, teal are really attracted to the spinning wing decoys, so that'll help them kind of come by, you know, and give you a close enough pass for a shot. Um, but calling, you know, I do some calling, but a lot of times that doesn't make as much of a difference. The big key is being in the right location. Uh, at the right time, and, and that time's early in the morning. Unless you get a day like today where you got some clouds and some wind, you can get by um, 
you can get by hunting a little bit later in the day. Do we have a fair amount of public access to hunt teal? We've got a lot because there's ponds up in the grasslands. Um, there's a lot of ponds along the South Platte uh, that the state has constructed kind of in that Bob Elliott area. Uh, you've got stuff out by Andrick, uh, Jackson, you go out to Red Lion. So there's a lot of public opportunities for people to go pursue teal. I would stay away from the river bottom. There's not going to be a lot of them on there. Some of the back sloughs may have some teal, but really target on the shallow ponds, knee deep and less is where the teal really like to be. So, um, you're saying the shallow ponds, knee deep. You're probably not doing a lot of jump shooting. You're shooting mostly from blinds or stationary then? I'm typically doing a blind, but you can get on them uh, with uh, jump shooting. Uh, and you used to be really good out at the grasslands doing that because some of them were, you know, stock ponds that had a dam on them where you could come up from behind the dam and get up pretty close. So, if I was going to do some jump shooting, that would kind of be the area that I would do. And the one thing with teal is if you spook them off and you don't get an opportunity to get a shot off, stick around there for 10, 15, 20 minutes because usually those birds will go out and they'll come zipping back by and give you another chance uh, while you're just waiting for them. Uh, last you know, thing, like, yep. Yeah, last thing I want to touch on with you, and it's about teal and ducks in general too, are you hearing anything as far as the weather affecting the migration? Are they staying up north a little longer? Or and do you and have you heard whether we're looking at a fairly good year for for waterfall? Yeah, with the teal, the blue wings, man. The first couple cold nights, they're going to start moving. They're one of the real early migrators. You'll see blue wings down in Louisiana by middle of September. So they have already started to move. The big ducks haven't started moving yet, but uh, they just came out. The feds just came out with their forecast, and ducks numbers are down just a little bit from last year, but they're they're right about what the long-term goal is. So I would expect that we should have about an average to maybe a little bit above average waterfowl season, especially since we've got the water with the ponds and the reservoirs being full, when the birds get here, they're going to find a lot of places to sit. And so they should stay here longer. I would say that uh, that late October, early November season could be really gangbusters. All right, my friend, if people want to book either a fishing or a waterfall trip with you, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call or shoot me a text at 303 Eight two nine three nine nine eight, and you have a great fishing report. Tell them about that real quick. Um, yeah, if you want to get, uh, I do a weekly newsletter. It's called the NoCo Fishing News, and so if you go to Google and search nocofishingnews.substack.com, it comes up, and do uh, weekly updates on water conditions, stocking. Um, will be coming up as the fall comes around and they do lake sampling. We'll be doing updates on that information. So try to get you the most current information possible on the lakes of Northeast Colorado. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon. Go catch some fish. All right. Thanks, Terry.
You bet. Brad Peterson. Always a great resource. We'll take a quick time out and we come back. We're going to take you down to the Pueblo area. See how the fishing is down there on Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They have locations up and down the Front Range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, check one out. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, a new contributor to the show, Neil Wilkinson. Good morning, Neil. Hey, Terry. How you doing? I'm doing well. And your um, your uh, guiding business is Rocky Mountain Adventure Guides. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and you know, Neil, we've you and I talked during the week, and I've for a while now wanting to get somebody to give us some reports from the southern Front Range, especially Pueblo Reservoir. Um, we get a lot of information up north here and in the metro area and then in the mountains, but sometimes we, we and I think Pueblo is one of the premier warm water fisheries in the state, so we're glad to have you on board so we can talk about that once in a while. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So what is going down? First thing everybody asks this time of the year in all Colorado lakes are the water levels. Well, right now, Pueblo's as high as, uh, as I can ever remember it being at this time of year. We've had so much rain. And so it's fishing. So the conditions are a lot more like spring as far as the water level is concerned. But um, there's still massive shad hatch as usual. And so fish are really starting to suspend a lot down at the lake. You know, we're going to get into what those shad are doing and how you're finding the walleyes and even the bass and chasing them. But it's a, it's amazing when water levels change. You know, you and I live in the Colorado for years, and we fish all over the country. You do tournament fishing at some of the top tournament cir- circuits in the United States, and we travel and fish. And you go to other parts of the country, and, like, I would just spend a couple weeks in northern Minnesota, and if the water levels are off, a foot or two, they have a panic attack up there. Here we deal with water that sometimes changes 20, 30, 40 feet, and the lakes change, and you really have to take that into account as you approach the reservoirs, don't you? Oh, yeah, there's a big difference. I've spent the last five years traveling on the National Walleye Tour, and um, you go to some of those lakes, and like you said, they get all concerned about the, the, the water dropping one foot or you know, I'm so used to huge fluctuations where I fish. It's like almost being on a different planet. It does make you change your game plan, and it spreads the fish out, but it's good and healthy for the fisheries. Let's start with the walleye at Pueblo. Um, what's going on with them right now? Well, the shad hatched right about uh, mid-July, which is normal. And usually from, I don't know, mid-July to about the first week in August, fishing suffers quite a bit because there's just such a glut of bait in the system, but things start to stabilize and everything starts to suspend. So what we've been doing for really the last three weeks is I've been trolling wood core with very small crankbaits, you know, number fives, um, mostly shad wraps and um, flicker shads. And um, I like leg core because I can follow the contours. That's the Pueblo is a very vertical lake. If you anybody fishes there, um, you get up close to the sides, you know, you have all kinds of little saddles and humps. And right now, the fish are suspending anywhere from about 25 to 35 feet deep. It, it differs from day to day. And what you can do is if you curl a leg core, you can track those ridges. I try to bounce my crankbaits right off the side of those humps 
and then I turn around and I come out wide and try to get the ones that are suspended off of it. So even if you're not a troller, if you have good sonar, and you can see the fish off the side of those humps and those sunken trees, you can get right above them and jig. Um, right now, you know, that's not the best way to approach it. But like I said, this is trolling season for us, and it'll probably continue that way all the way through September. Yeah, it's a, it's what happens, and I've seen it happen in so many lakes up and down the Front Range here, where we get those big shad hatches. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another great example of that used to be Glendo, where people would go to Glendo in the early spring. The walleyes were in the trees, and then they'd pull back as the bait pulled back to the first maybe break line and they'd get them on jigs and bottom bouncers. And then about the end of June, people would quit fishing Glendo because they said the fish wouldn't bite anymore. Well, I remember going up there and doing a television show on 4th of July and uh, we just trolled. We were trolling five to 10 feet deep over 60 feet of water and we were just harvesting fish. It's just that because of that bait, that bait just, so much influences where those fish are, doesn't it? It really does, and that I've seen that up at Glendo. That's kind of where I cut my teeth was up at Glendo. And um, actually, Glendo fishes quite a bit like Puebla. I mean, there's subtle differences, but it's just a much bigger lake, of course. But I, one of the best days I've ever had was up at Glendo. It was like 100 degrees, and we were doing exactly what you were saying, you know, trolling the top 15 feet of the water column. And um, there was hardly any boats out on the lake that day. You're saying the fish at Pueblo right now are a little deeper than that. They're more like 20 to 30 feet? Yeah, that's they were the last week. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I usually, you know, it's a little different every day. Sometimes it depends, too, if it's cloudy. You know, at Pueblo, at Pueblo clouds really make a difference. When it gets cloudy, the fish will move up sometimes 5 to 10 feet from where they were. And also having a chop, of course, like in any place where you fish for walleyes, having wind really matters down there. And, um, like the other day I was trolling, uh, let's see, I had one line out six, six colors and one line out five colors. But the day before that I was using four and five. So it's, it's a little different every day. Yeah. And, you know, people who don't normally troll lead core, it takes a little time to understand and get used to it, but it's an incredible way to control your depth when you're trolling, isn't it? Yeah, it's my favorite. You know, if you fish in it, some of our lakes, you know, Pueblo's a good example, Pathfinder, parts of Glendo, Seminole, that are, you know, Hillland, Plateau, Reservoir type setting. Lots of times those fish are really concentrated on, on the exact spot. So, you know, the lead core tracks with your boat, and you can, once you've got them dialed in, you can repeat the same path time and time again and uh, really put a hurt on them when they're biting. I'll tell you what, folks, if you can find it, I don't know if they're still in print, but the original walleye concept books, um, I wrote a chapter just on using lead core like that on Western Reservoirs. It really is an effective way to troll. While I got you on the line, Neil, uh, what about the bass and the wipers down at Pueblo? Well, we got into quite a few wipers in the spring. They, they, there was a lot of them. There's a, a young year class from like either a year or two ago that they planted that are all about two pounds right now. So we caught a lot of those in the spring and a few big ones. I think the biggest one we've got so far this year is nine pounds, which by Pueblo standards isn't isn't that big. And then all of a sudden they just kind of, you know, the, the lake started out kind of low for spring. The Arkansas River snowpack wasn't very good this year. and uh, But we've got so much rain 
the last two months. But like I said, I've never seen the water as high in August as it is right now. And I've kind of, to be honest with you, I've kind of lost contact with the wipers the last month. What I think is going on is I think they've moved up into all the shallow coves that were dry. And I think they're chasing bluegills, which is what they're, they love bluegills. And um, I think that's where they are. And that's not where I'm fishing right now. So that's why, I think that's why I'm not running into them. But if you want to go wiper fishing, I would suggest you go in the evening. And uh, whether you're in a boat or on shore, fish all the major points and um, and humps that, you know, fairly shallow because they do come up in the evenings. And uh, I know some guys that are doing, doing okay right now with Zara spooks, those kind of baits on the surface. Yeah, and a, and a nine ten pound wiper will pull your string, folks. Let me tell you, you'll know you got a fish on there. And when some of the big ones that can come out of Pueblo, wipers can be just a fun fish. What are the any idea what the bass are doing? The Pueblo has three species of bass. They have largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass. The smallmouth the most prolific, but the other two are there. You hearing anything? Yeah, I'm catching quite a few actually. Um, I'm not up in the coves right now, so I'm really not catching any largemouths. I'm sure I've heard the bass guys are, but out where I'm trolling, um, spotted bass tend to suspend a lot, and um, they're right out there with the walleyes and everything else. So I've been catching a lot of spots uh, while I'm trolling, and then anytime my lures come in contact to like a hump or saddle, anytime I bounce anything off the rocks, I catch you know smallmouths are everywhere on like it's anywhere where it's rocky. Um, if you're if you're a good smallmouth fishing fisherman, you still won't have any problem catching bass right now down at Pueblo. The problem is, is you got to work through a lot of little ones to get the good ones. You know um, what's going to happen here pretty soon. Well, in a month or two, when that lake starts cooling down, we're going to get into a spoon or jigging wrap type bite, and we'll get you back on and we'll talk about that. But that's a pretty reliable time for fishing, not only numbers but big fish at Pueblo, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's actually my favorite time of the year. Most of the jet skiers and the you know power boats and everything are gone. Um, I'm usually pretty actually pretty busy in October and November, and it's basically just you know I have like a honey um, a, a list of spots that I hit during the day, and that's what I do. I have um, a couple of rods rigged with different size spoons, and then at least one rig rod rigged with a glide bait like a jigging wrap or you know Johnny Darter. And I just use, I use my sonar a lot, especially in the fall. You know, if I'm out fishing myself, I spend half of the day just graphing. And just, you know, once I find fish, I stop and I fish. When do you you think we might see that that spoon bite and that jigging wrap bite start to really get going down there? Will it be a little later this year because of the warm weather, or is it pretty reliable? The last three years, it started right in October, usually. It just depends when we start getting those cool nights and the water starts turning over. A, a, a good sign down there is when you start seeing shad floating on the surface dead. That's usually a sign that you need to move out deeper and fish, you know, that the spoon bites. That's what a spoon represents is just a dying shad. So um, a lot of people have forgotten about spoons because everybody's fishing the glide baits. But spoons, especially for big fish, are still a great option. I, I just like slapping. I've always enjoyed doing it, you know. I love spoons, too. In fact, I have a TV, I have a show on my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, just on spooning up Pueblo. And I'll tell you what, when those fish gather up, um, you're going to not only see the walleyes, but you're going to see the wipers and the catfish and the bass, too. 
we uh, we catch a lot of big catfish in the fall. I had a week, two two falls ago, I had a week where my customers caught five channel cats over 20 pounds, and one was 42 inches long, which is which tied the catch and release record. Um, my boga scale only went to 30 pounds, and when I tried to weigh it, it bottomed out my boga, so I'm guessing it was like 38, 40 pounds. And uh, well, of course, you let it go, but... Yeah, there's huge catfish in there. I want to talk to you more as we get closer to fall about that. Last one real quick. We only got about a minute, but the crappies. Are the crappies doing anything this year? Well, you know, I'm catching a lot, uh, about half a dozen big crappies a day right now because I'm trolling over the tops of trees. So every once in a while I'll have them, and they're big ones too. Every once in a while I'll have, every while I'll have one come up and, and hit one of my crankbaits. I usually, personally, I usually don't fish for crappies a lot. I like to leave them alone in the spring so they spawn, but um, I fish for them in the fall, especially if I'm fishing just for fun myself. I keep always keep a couple of crappie rods in the boat, and um, I have a series of small humps and trees that are in fairly deep water, usually about 25 feet, and in the fall they load up. I mean, I have one spot where I can't even, there's like no space. My grass almost blacks out. There's so many crappie piled up in one spot. And so I, Neil, I do a lot of fishing in the fall, crappie fishing. Neil, we, we are out of time, Neil, but if people want to book a guide trip with you, how do they find you or where are you at on social media? You know, I do most of my business on, uh, I have a website, but most people find me through uh, Facebook. You can just go to Rocky Mountain Adventure Guides. And then I also have a sub page called Pueblo uh, Walleye and Wiper Fishing that they can go to. And I fish, I, that's where I put my fishing reports every day. And then uh, you were just talking to Brad. Brad and uh, Randy and I have a page called the Colorado Guide Report. And what we did is we split up the state into regions. I have the southeast. Randy's got the Dillon area, you know, Green Mountain Reservoir. Brad covers the northeast. And then we have a few other guides that contribute every once in a while to their regions. So, you know, you can find us. If you go to Rocky Mountain Adventure Guides, you'll see the links to all the subpages. And um, it's pretty valuable information because you got guides reporting just about every day. All right, my friend, we'll have you on again, certainly as we get close to spooning time. That's one of my favorite times to fish. Thank you for joining us, Neil. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. You bet. Neil Wilkinson. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to Colorado Parks and Wildlife about a unique stocking program on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, um, he's in Hatchery Operations, David Carr. Good morning, David. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, we're going to talk about uh, a stocking program that you do. And, you know, people understand you stock the warm water species from eggs to fry like the walleyes and the bass. And everybody's familiar with the trucks that pull up with the catchable trout. In fact, you publish a report on those so people can go catch them. But there's another type of stocking that you do that provides a really unique uh, angling opportunity here in Colorado. And that's stocking by air in high mountain lakes. Tell me about it. Yeah, I really like to highlight this program just because, like you say, I think a lot of anglers are familiar and, you know, have a lot of contact, really. They, they see the the fish trucks on the boat ramps that stock the catchables. Um, but, you know, the remote stocking that occurs um, 
by airplane in the high mountain lakes uh, for cutthroats is something that I think not as many anglers are familiar about. And I just think it's a really cool program. Um, it's one that provides a really great angling opportunity all across the state. And um, it's just something, something I think that um, needs to be brought to people's attention. Yeah, and, you know, you do some conservation stocking of cutthroats. That's usually done by packing them in or, or horseback. But this is really meant to be a recreational opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. We, I, I was going to say this is kind of a there, – there's more to it than just airplane, but thanks for touching on that. You, we do do some um, stocking of cutthroats in remote areas by both horseback and just some people take them in uh, with a frame pack as well but yeah the the recreational stocking is mostly done by airplane now you told me when we talked early this is alpine and subalpine lakes usually in an elevation about nine thousand to maybe eleven thousand five hundred feet how how exactly is it done and how tricky of a job is it yeah i mean we have some great pilots that take this on um so the the planes have sort of a, a special um a special tank that can be loaded in a, and uh, equipped on there and um, up to nine different um, lakes worth of fish can be put onto a tank. So um, the pilots um, at the airport hatchery staff help load some of the small cutthroats onto the planes and the pilots are able to fly up there and uh, drop them into the lake. And then, and they have to be a very specific size, don't they? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. We've found over the years that um, fish that are too big, um, they actually don't survive the impact um, on the surface of the lake. And if the fish are too small, they actually dry out as they're falling from the airplane to the water. So we try to keep, keep them at about one inch. That seems to be sort of the sweet spot. So these are these are small fish that we're dropping into these lakes. Um, but uh, it also allows us to drop a, a pretty fair number of them in every time because they're so small. Now, I would think that because some of these lakes obviously get stocked more than once, that some of those fish end up being uh, table fare for their big brothers who were stocked a few years earlier. But um, and and but they're mostly the the food up there is bugs. I would think so. It should be a haven for fly fishermen. Yeah, I'm sure the fly fishermen do really well. Um, usually when I go, I am more of a spin fisherman, so I stick to just some very small, like, jig-type lures and occasionally a, a small spinner or spoon. But, yeah, I mean, the the, the forage basin in high mountain lakes, it's um, maybe not as quite as robust as some of the more productive waters at lower elevations. So, yeah, the, the small fish that we put in, I'm sure some of them don't, don't uh, grow to maturity. I'm sure some of those get uh, turned into snacks, but um, yeah, the adult fish that are living in there also foraging uh, very much on aquatic insects. How often does a lake get stocked or do you stock different parts of the states, different time? Yeah. Unfortunately, our hatcheries just don't quite have the capacity to raise enough fish to do every high mountain lake all across the state every year. There's a, I mean, there's just a ton of high elevation lakes out there. Um, so what we do is we split it. Um, we do either the uh, west or east slope, and we um, do every other year. So um, each lake is getting stocked on an every other year basis. 
So I think the main message we want to get out here, though, is if you're an, a hiker or you like to fish and uh, hike in high mountain country, this is meant to be a recreational opportunity. Don't shy away thinking you're damaging these fisheries. You probably don't get a lot of reproduction anyway, so it's really okay to fish these lakes, isn't it? Yeah, and that's, you know, to me is, is part of the charm of it is that it's such a remote location. It's a beautiful setting. You're catching beautiful fish. Um, these are fish that don't encounter anglers nearly as often as some of the more uh, pressured fisheries in the state. So you're catching, even though they're stocked fish, they're, they have a very wild appearance to them. Um, so that's, that's a big, big part of why I, why I think it's such a great opportunity. And you're absolutely right. You know, there, there's not a lot of natural reproduction up there for, for the backpackers out there who want to go up and, and, you know, pan fry one over the campfire. It's, it's, you know, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and I'll tell you, there's some very good books out. I know Steve Schweitzer put some books out on high mountain lakes in the Indian Hills area, Indian Peaks area, and on Rocky Mountain National Park. But that's the, there's just lakes like this all over the state. And if you can find one, it's probably been stocked, right? Um, yeah, as long as, you know, again, they have, to, they have to be accessible by the pilots as long as they're, they're safe to get fish into. Um, most, most of the fish you're encountering, at least most of the cutthroats you're encountering in the backcountry in Colorado have been stocked for sure. Um, maybe not so much with the brook trout. There is a fair amount of um, natural reproduction with brookies, uh, but the cutthroats definitely. Well, David, we are out of time, but I think this is an awesome program. It just provides another great recreational opportunity that's very unique. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thanks for having me on and letting me highlight this program. Oh, no problem. I think it's a great program. Thank you, David. David Carr with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a quick time out. When we come up, we'll wrap up the first hour of Terry Wisham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, we talked a lot of fishing so far this hour. We're going to talk a little more hunting next hour, but we're going to talk a little fishing, too, because Nate will talk both hunting and fishing, and Chad LaChance will join us at the end of the show. But I want to talk about, I hear a lot when we, we're coming out of this hot weather, we're getting some cooler weather now, and things are going to change. But I hear a lot about the dog days of summer and poor fishing, and I, I just don't believe in that. I believe that some lakes and some species can be harder to catch, and some tactics don't work as well. So when you get into these weather changes, especially what some people consider dog days, you know, one of the things I've always felt that summer patterns, I didn't mind them even if the fish seemed to be not susceptible to my normal way of fishing because once the fish settle into those summer patterns, they're usually staying them for a few weeks and once you figure it out, you can you can make that happen. Now, we heard talk about the walleyes and the wipers and the white bass and how the warm water and then the cooling temperatures are going to change how they react. Well, if you're having trouble on one lake, maybe target a different lake or find out what the bait is doing and change your tactics. But even a better example is when the type of fishing you like to do, let's say you like to do walleyes on horse tooth, and they're only, you only find yourself able to catch them with your techniques for a short period of the year. Well, why not go and fish something else? Like 
when a lot of people on the front range were suffering, right now we have an iconic lake trout bike up on Granby for numbers and still some big fish. And that's going to get better as we go to fall. But right now they've been having, you know, double-digit days, even 50 to 100 fish days for the real top guys to guide up there. But if an average guy can go up there and get 15, 20 lake trout in that 15 to 22-inch range and maybe a chance at a big one of 40 inches, I mean, take advantage of that. The high mountain lakes, you just heard us talking about this high mountain stocking. If you're willing to hike in a little bit, go to Rocky Mountain National Park or another another high spot and hike in a little bit. You know, you only have to hike in about a mile and a half off the road and you lose the crowds. And you can be up there fishing and, and you can do it with almost any kind of equipment. Maybe go do the grayling at Joe Wright. This time of the year, those grayling are surfacing everywhere. You can catch them on fly rods. You can catch them, really catch them on a fly in a bubble. And so that's another opportunity. So don't be afraid to keep fishing. You know, a great example is I was out in Minnesota for a couple weeks on a fishing trip. And I go out there. I like to go out there this time of the year because I like to bass fish. And a lot of the guys I fish with are really into walleyes. Now, I love to walleye fish. I did a lot of work on walleye fishing within Fisherman Magazine. I wrote for Walleye Insider. I helped write their critical concept books, and I love to walleye fish. And Karen loves to eat walleyes, and she gets mad when I don't fish for them enough. But I knew going out there, the walleye fishing would be tougher that time of the year, and it would be in a transition. So I also knew that meant that the guys that I fish with that also fish bass would be more willing to bass fish. And the bass fish up there, fishing up there at that time of the year is phenomenal. I mean, I had one of the most iconic bass fishing days of my life this year. The only time I think I've ever done better was down in the bass lakes in Mexico. And it was because we targeted a species that was active and we understood what they would be doing at that time. Now, you've got to get on a lake and try it. You do have to do some experimentation. Obviously, there's just not a set pattern. But the same is true here in Colorado. There's tons of great smallmouth fishing going on right now. Pueblo, Chatfield have great smallmouth. Um, there's decent smallmouth at Horsetooth right now, but you've got to work for them a little more. But those provide just great opportunities to go out and catch fish if you're struggling with the walleyes. There's catfish in almost all these lakes if you want to go out at night and soak some bait and or when the spoon bite comes up so don't don't be so quick to accept dog days or or excuses why you're not catching fish now none of us catch fish every time we go and anybody who says they do i don't believe anything else they say either but if you want to have a successful fishing trip think about what's going on think about your last couple times out and what usually happens this time of the year and then start there's lots of resources online or listen to this show and start listening for bites that maybe are taking off. Like right now, the top water bite in the, for bass in small ponds is going to just get better and better over the next few weeks. Find a bite like that that's easy to go, try out, learn a little bit about it, and there's no reason you can't have successful fishing through the entire season. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Nate Solinsky is going to join us. We're going to talk hunting and fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.